This is Zach Greenwald, and you're listening to the Airborne Mind Show. Hey guys, Ms. Hawk here. Thank you so much for joining me today, and welcome back to another episode of the Airborne Mind Show. Before we get started, there's two places that I would love to point you to. Number one is the home base, theairbornemind.com. Check out some of the free tools uh, and free sample programs, training videos, and things like that. If you're somebody who is struggling with strict pull-ups, strict handstand push-ups, uh, pistol squats, and things of that nature, check out some of the free resources. And if it's relevant to you, give it a shot and let me know what you think. I would love to hear from you. Number two, if you have three minutes and you've been enjoying the episodes that I've been putting out and uh, you would love to hear more of this, it would make my day and mean the world to me if you head over to iTunes and you leave a five-star review. Good or bad, let me know what you think. Um, It helps me get more interesting guests on the show, helps me with the rankings, and most importantly, uh, gives me feedback and lets me know how I'm doing. So once again, head over to iTunes, leave a review. It'll take you a couple minutes. It is the best compliment that you can give. Now, today's podcast episode is brought to you by audible.com. I'm a huge fan of audiobooks because just like podcast episodes, you can listen to them while you are doing something else, cooking, driving, working out, whatever it might be. Even when you think that you're zoned out and it's not working, it actually is because the second that you hear something that triggers a problem that is relevant to you and what you're trying to solve right now, man, it just provokes thought. It can provoke action. You never know what will come of that. And so audiobooks are huge for me. Uh, A trick that I recommend if you're considering any book at all is to look in the podcast app for the author's name or the title of the book. And this is not gonna be applicable to every book out there, but if you find interviews, especially specifically relevant to that book that you're looking into, listen to the interviews and just keep an eye out for the thought process, the psychological framework, and the insights that the author has on what they've gotten out of the book. Because it's so much more laid back, it's conversational style, and you taking that, and if you end up deciding to listen to the actual audiobook, uh, in combination with your insights, is just a recipe for good stuff. So if you want a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial, you can head over to theairbornemind.com forward slash reading list, and you can get that there along with a list of all the previous books that guests have recommended on the show. So once again, that is theairbornemind.com forward slash reading list. Today, my guest is Zach Greenwald, the founder of Strength Ratio, who's actually on the show back in episode five. And so I highly recommend that you go check that one out. Um, But if you haven't listened to it, you can definitely start with this one as well. Um, This time we dig into what sustainable training actually looks like for both the sport of CrossFit and weightlifting. Um, In our first episode, we talked about using a test that can be used to objectively measure your state of readiness, right? So I still had a ton of questions to make this applicable to the everyday athlete and competitor. So we dig much deeper. Uh, Think of this as a tool 
um, something you want to keep in your arsenal, kind of like a foam roller, kind of like a lacrosse ball, except it's available to you at all times with no equipment needed. Um, should you push the weights a little heavier? Should you back off today? Uh, is this mobility exercise actually making a difference? These are all things that you can measure objectively with this stress test. So with that being said, hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, more importantly, hope you take something away from it. Zach, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. You've actually quite, come quite some way since I was on. I don't know if that was like episode four or five, but I've been listening to every single one. It's it's awesome to see you grow. Congrats, man. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I cringe when I go back and listen to the first five episodes. I mean, all the guests sound amazing, but when I listen to myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I'm pretty hard on it. Well, I just got into uh, Harry Potter for the first time, like at the age of 24. And oh, wow. It's like, it's changed my life. It's like not work related. It's an escape, and, and you're like uh, you're like a, a young uh, exercise interviewing J.K. Rowling, who like gets better with each Harry Potter book in her in her literature. Oh man, I love that. Um, and speaking <laughs> of Harry Potter, you should if you like Harry Potter, I definitely think you should start looking into Lord of the Rings, especially I, if you like that. I wish I was in my office right now because it was like I read Harry Potter and then I read Lord of the Rings. And now I'm just like depressed and don't know what to read. But I, I enjoyed Harry Potter like infinitely better than Lord of the Rings, and I feel like such a kid. But like nothing. I mean, the best self-help book that I've read has been Harry Potter. It's been good for my like overall mental health, my business, and just keeping me chill. So, dude, it's crazy. Um, fiction is something that I was never really into, right? Like for whatever reason, it just didn't. Like I didn't. Uh, I used to read like the series of unfortunate events and like those series when I was a little bit younger, but like at some point I just like lost interest in fiction. And recently I've been getting into it more and more because I don't know, man. I just I appreciate I guess a good story that can just take you on a roller coaster, you know. And I never really thought about it like that before, but the more I like uh, look at, the more you analyze it a little bit and you appreciate the art, um, I definitely my interest is definitely peaking in that. Yeah, and I can admire like and uh, I can admire aspiring coaches who will post photos of their new bookshelves with like all of the Tim Ferriss, uh, Tony Robbins self help books and business books. But it's like, and you're gonna you're gonna walk away and, and you're gonna be burned out and have no idea how to synthesize all this. You can't just chill the, chill the hell out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, what, how how have you been since you were last on? It's been quite some time. Uh, you've been up to a lot. Seems like the team is growing. Is everybody doing all right? Uh, yep. Uh, so both on-site team and remote team is growing. Um, we've expanded our, our on-site location to include another warehouse space. That's the, Those two spaces are now conjoined. And uh, yeah, just staying plenty of bu- plenty busy, um, but it's it's all been fun. I saw that uh, Danny posted that he's going to be or he is working with you now after his uh, surgery, right? Yeah, we've been working together for the past two months, um, and we'll be meeting up next week in Chicago uh, for nationals, and then we're kind of continuing with his, his rehab thereafter. So yeah, uh, another uh, airborne mind guest. Yeah, yeah, dude, I love Danny. He's uh, he's such a genuine, authentic, passionate dude. Like, I love having a conversation with him. Yeah, he's um, he's he cares about his athletes. He cares about the profession. We talk about this um at training halls. Like, we uh, we wake up uh, at a national meet and go to work out very early before our lifters go. And sometimes you see coaches like hop in the training hall right after their athletes uh, lift. 
and it's just kind of strange because that I mean it's it's crowded. You're you're uh, jammed for time, and we'll just get it in in early. And in Salt Lake City, um, I think I will. This is for Olympic trials in 2016, and it was myself, uh, Carahead Slaughter, Pitos Dimas, and Coach Bergner at like 5 a.m. in the in the hotel gym, uh, and it's just like Coach is getting it in there and letting their athletes do what they need, not trying to like. <laughs> steal the show from them while they're training yeah he's big on that he's big on devoting everything he kind of has uh, 100% to his athletes and kind of selfless in that way yeah it comes through for sure yeah so just to give a little bit of context for those who might be tuning in um, to this one without listening to our first episode I highly recommend you still go check that one out Um, but you essentially help people return to play Right. So somebody who might be injured, uh, they've been told that, you know, their knee pain is never going to be resolved or their back pain is never going to be resolved and they shouldn't deadlift or squat anymore or weightlift, whatever. Uh, They come to you and you have certain strategies that you've used um, that work and that help people, you know, get back to PRing again and help people, you know, become more functional and uh, sustainable. Yeah, that's um, kind of our, our, our niche right now is taking people who've been injured and helping them not just return to activities for daily living, like brushing their teeth if they have a shoulder injury or being able to put their socks on if they have uh, lingering back pain, but actually be able to improve their abilities in the gym over time and eventually get to a level where they've been able to uh, set new PRs. So uh, we have two athletes going to regionals on teams. They both started with us um, about to quit CrossFit because they were injured. But they've stayed on the team because we are also uh, uh, capable of improving performance on the other side of that spectrum. And we had two Masters qualifiers start with us for the same reason in CrossFit. They um, are Masters athletes who participated in the Masters qualifier, started with mm-hmm. us for injury. And you know because we can help them with performance, it's kind of like we just snag them and let them know that we'll take care of them on the other end when they're healthy too. Dude, I remember being uh, in that place where I had a lower back injury and I was just like, it was the worst nine months that I had gone through because I had never been injured, even growing up, like playing sports, nothing really major. Um, And I was also teaching spinning at this time. So I was doing like, you know, six, seven classes a week there, uh, figuring out how to like tone it down so I could come in and, and do more CrossFit because I had just started it. Um, and it was just so much on my body, but everything I was involved in, like I wasn't able to move how I wanted to move when I was injured. And it was such a crazy feeling because something like me getting out of my car or, uh, I worked for Lululemon at this time too. And at the end of the night, I would always be the one who did the vacuuming and just vacuuming, dude, that was my, that was my marker. Like even when everything had healed and was good, um, that was something that would light up my back and give me a little bit of sciatica for whatever reason. Like I would make sure that I'm like, you know, nice and tight and, and, uh, uh, trying to maintain good posture and things like that. But despite that, like you never take, you never realize, uh, the little things that you do throughout the day. Um, you know, uh, you kind of take it for granted, right? Getting out of your car, vacuuming, being able to do these things. Uh, and then when it came time to improving performance, I remember I had stopped, uh, essentially like squatting and any anything really because at that time I was told that the only thing I should do is uh, walk in water, yeah. like aerobic, like, you know, th- that's the only exercise I should do. Anything else is going to like piss it off. And pretty much what happened was I lost, like I'm a pretty – 
you know, I have, I have adequate flexibility and mobility. I was not able to squat below parallel, I would say, because my ankles just like from not squatting for a couple months, I like lost all that. I wasn't able to express it. Um, but slowly when I got in contact with the right person and they kind of understood my needs and, and uh, I realized that, whoa, not everybody is telling me that, hey, the only thing you can do is walk in water. Like everybody has a bit of a different approach. And as soon as I started working with her within like four weeks, I was back to moving again and things were kind of progressing along. So man, it's a, you know, it, it's amazing to be able to help you know, that group of people. And I feel like sometimes uh, we lose context because we're just day to day, we're grinding. We don't realize that, you know, these little movements throughout the day, like uh, when you are in that position and you are experiencing pain, you'll do anything to get rid of it. Oh, for sure. And it's funny because if you think about it in medicine, right, you know, it's, it's something to take, uh, if I'm a doctor, which I'm certainly not, uh, prescribing medication, to take someone completely off their medication is Pretty, uh, pretty dramatic, you know, especially with certain medicines. And if that athlete, or sorry, if that client has been on that medication for a long time, but we don't take that same philosophy with exercise, right? So there's there's this idea like you're hurt, do nothing. It's the equivalent of saying you're experiencing a spike in your symptoms. We're going to take you either all off your medicine or like triple it. It's this these very extreme responses where if we can monitor how much volume you're doing throughout the day, even including what you're doing in spin class and vacuuming, if we can be considerate of all this stuff. We can just look for ways to reduce it and then steadily build up over time. But, you know, a lot of people's gut instinct is to just say, don't do it at all. So then it's nine months before you squat it. And when you go back, your ankles don't work because you haven't used them. Right. Yeah. So um, when so people come to us, when people come to us and they're like, I told you my back is hurting. Why am I deadlifting? Or I told you my knees hurt. Why am I squatting? And then when they do it appropriately with the right amount of recoverable volume, they get better. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's, ama it's an amazing feeling. Um, so you have been putting out this uh, video series on YouTube that I've been following. Um, it's called the Sustainable Training Series. And yeah. uh, recently, you put out a couple of videos geared towards specifically uh, CrossFitters needs, which I thought was really cool. So um, could you kind of give some context as to what sustainable means to you, especially yeah, so in the CrossFit realm? Um, in, in the CrossFit realm, you know, especially where you have yearly competition uh, with the Open and, and many people compete in many smaller competitions throughout the year. And in classes, they quite commonly only do Metcons. There is not really a sense of periodization in CrossFit, though all of the best athletes in CrossFit who are going to the games have some type of plan. You know, just periodization is a structured plan. And I think that is, and just as there is structured work periods, there's also structured rest uh, periods. And if people are going across uh, CrossFit classes only, they might not have that unless they start to regulate themselves. So sustainable in, in that regards, uh, specifically for CrossFit, involves a periodized plan. Um, those periodized plans, while they have smaller micro uh, and mesocycles, have a larger uh, macro plan that has the long term in mind. So you might be thinking of improving your open score one year, uh, but are you better off considering uh, attacking some areas that need a little bit more time and attacking the open in four years from now? Uh, we want that instant gratification. Uh, it's, it's in us as, as human beings, I think, but if we can be a little bit more patient and use a periodized plan to help keep our ego in check, 
we can see better gains over time. Yeah, and, and that's a scary thought for some people, right? Like taking a look at maybe the 2018 Open, that feels like a long time away, right? When in reality, uh, it's a short-term goal if we're solely preparing for the 2018 Open. And so you're saying that if we were to kind of take a bigger picture look at kind of like Olympic athletes do, right, over a four-year span and being able to understand that, you know, I'm in this for the long game. And if if I tackle year one, you know, all out 100%. And by year three or year four, when it's time to actually perform, I'm not able to because I went too hard and I crashed and burned, then, you know, it's kind of wasted time and energy in a sense, right? Exactly. And, you know, just a general principle that people might want to follow, we're always going to gravitate towards wanting to repeat the doing the same things that we enjoy doing or or believe that we're good at um, is, you know, for instance, after the open, we can do a needs analysis on where we succeeded, where we need a little bit more time, and if we crush those uh, two to eight minute metcons, and right after the open, we hop into only two to eight minute metcons, but our skill still sucks, our strength still sucks, and that's just not sustainable. You're mm-hmm. going out. So creating a, a needs analysis first, followed by a periodized plan that places a highest priority on what you need and gives you the time and structure to focus on what you need is extremely important. And this doesn't have to just be done on, a, on an individual level. CrossFit gyms can start doing this too, uh, not just also in their strength programming because that's where it's uh, most easy to accomplish. You know, you're just adjusting volume and intensity. That volume decreases over time as intensity increases. Uh, you can also change up how frequently your class is doing intense metcons. Uh, maybe they're doing more skill work. Maybe they're putting in even low-intensity aerobic work. You have to keep them enjoyed uh, and, and entertained, of course. That's that's the balance that CrossFit encounters. Um, what might be fun isn't always – or rather what's the most effective thing to do may not be always what's most fun or feels hard. But that doesn't mean that it's, it's best for the long-term development. So, you know, we write programming for affiliates and, and we have this – uh, periodized type plan for both the strength and the conditioning while trying to peak them for the open. And a lot of this, I think, has to do with context. We were chatting about this before we recorded, and you almost like, because for somebody, or maybe let's take a look at an affiliate who has followed, who has followed strength, Metcon, strength, Metcon, that's the flow of their classes. And the Metcon doesn't feel good to the member until they feel absolutely dead and exhausted and they're lying flat on their back staring up at the ceiling. That is what you associate, start to associate a uh, good workout to. So now when it's time to maybe do something a little bit different and, and maybe we're just going to do an EMOM today where, hey, you've got a minute and a half of rest in between each lift. Like some people get antsy and some people, uh, you know, want, are, we're addicted to that um, you know, kicking it up into overdrive and just tackling it full force. So that context is definitely important to help people, I think, understand why is it that we're uh, trying to do this. Totally. And, and if you apply it to something else, other lifestyle factors or, or consider your, your job schedule, right? Um, you know, maybe a little bit different for someone who's an entrepreneur versus someone who's employed. But um you don't go all out all the fucking time. You know, you, you have vacations, you have periods of the year that might not be as intense. 
it, that's sustainable. You're not going to burn out, quit, and and throw a fit. You know, you're you're going to make sure that you're allowing yourself to feel recovered, feel motivated to go into work the next day, hopefully. And I think that's what everyone can commonly uh, agree upon. But then with training, we try to escape from all those other stressors, and the answer is, well, let's just feel beat down. But that's not sustainable because that's like not never taking a vacation. So like life and like work, our training can benefit by having structure. It's not that you're absolutely going to get injured if you don't do that. It's not like you're guaranteed to regress. Uh, but on a long enough timeline, it is more likely that you will plateau or regress or get injured uh, than just following a plan that monitors fatigue and you know, prioritizes certain aspects of training over others at different times. Okay, so um, you mentioned something towards the end of, uh, maybe it was the biofeedback one for CrossFitters. Um, you said that you're only as strong as you can recover. Yeah, so a lot of people think training has to be hard all at once. So they'll start a training cycle, and that first week they'll feel beat to crap. If you start a training cycle and you feel beat to crap, where can you go from there? Right. Like you just started your training cycle. Right, so uh, training has to get harder over time, and yes, we're only as strong as what we can recover from. Uh, that's why steroids work. Steroids make us better able to recover. Uh, they don't make us better able to perform in 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 and of the own ability to perform a task. Uh, so yes, we're only as strong as what we can recover from. That's kind of where I'm assuming the you know that saying uh, "there's no such thing as overtraining, there's only under recovery." I'm assuming that's kind of where it stems from. Totally. Um, I think it's complete bullshit to say that there's no such thing as overtraining, but yes, that's where it comes from. It's, it's, it's that type of thinking. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah, no, because the idea I feel like if we were to uh, dig into that just a little bit more is like somebody who is a professional weightlifter in China and is spending all day revolving around training and, and competing like they're they're taking time for themselves they're making sure they're not stressed out outside of training um you know they're doing a bunch of accessory work um they're just training eating sleeping and, and rinsing and repeating that cycle um that is them recovering even though they're doing that much work but if somebody tries to mimic that same amount of workload that same style of training here but they've got a full-time job they've got a family uh they've got a you know and there's no regard for any other aspect of recovery we're just focusing on training that's where i feel like that concept starts to kick in a little bit exactly and that's where context becomes a very important talking point because you know, we just spoke about this uh, not long ago on, on another show, is if you're a gym owner and you look at your gym's avatar and your mean age is uh, 38 and you have programmed snatch and clean and jerk five days a week, um, might that be appropriate for the 38-year-old who wants to feel better and look better? There has to be context. Mm. and. Sometimes it's easier to copy and paste from a blog than it is to write programming yourself. But I think the better gyms will stand out over time because there is uh, appropriate context for what they're writing. Because like you said, you know, we're not, and we say to follow a periodized plan, a lot of people associate that with high-level athletics. Uh, it doesn't have to be the case. You know, you, everyone needs to create overload to get better. And overload means that you have to deload. That's a very common and a very important part and reducing fatigue in a periodized plan, that doesn't have to be for an Olympic athlete. That's for anyone. You want to get stronger, so you do a little bit more work. 
and then you just need to recover so you do a little bit less work. So if that can be featured more commonly as well as just knowing your gym's avatar and what's appropriate, we can hopefully begin to create better boxes around the country. Awesome. Or world. Yeah. Um, could you dig into a little bit about the energy system that's required for CrossFit and the energy system that is mainly required for solely weightlifting and how they kind of differ and uh, how we would approach, you know, how we would attack the uh, CrossFit aspect. So the energy system that's mainly featured because CrossFit does, at least in its handbook and initial ideology, um, hit all spectrums uh, across that uh, that energy um uh, realm, that long, slow, aerobic pace, that uh, aerobic power, kind of mid-range pace, and then this lactate uh, threshold, uh, really intense Metcon, we, we only see the latter, that really intense, shitty uh, lactate threshold work in the open. Mm-hmm. And that's often what people train for, and it's what gyms program. Uh, you don't really see a lot of lower intensity stuff. That's an important energy system that's kind of neglected. Um, maybe even somewhere in that mid-range area where intensity isn't uh, maximal, but it's challenging, though repeatable. Uh, maybe we can even see more there. Though I think because the open is so intense in its intensity, its uh, ability to accumulate lactate in a short amount of time um, we tend to only do that in CrossFit gyms. Our gym is not a CrossFit gym. We see that with CrossFit gyms. It's just one energy system. And you will get burnt out doing only one energy system. And it's it's uh, sad because CrossFit in, in its own right uh, is hitting broad spectrums. So if people can look at it and say, well, the Open's energy system is this, really high intensity. And to be fit overall, we need time for developing skill, time for developing strength. If we even improve our slower, longer aerobic base, we'll then have a better anaerobic uh, peak. Then we need to spend time there. Even though the open features just Metcon, if we start with the skill, strength, and aerobic, we can then funnel down to more Metcon over time when you're trying to peak for the open rather than just doing it throughout the year nonstop. Yeah, so that's something that is definitely important to grasp is that to get better you know, at the energy system that you're training for, for the open, you can't just do that. You've got to touch bases with everything else. Um, that's kind of the same thing. Uh, if we look at, you know, if, if you're a weightlifter and you're only, uh, doing snatch and clean and jerk, but you have individual weaknesses, like, I don't know, maybe you have right to left weaknesses and, uh, you're not, uh, including different planes of motion and things like that, that we mentioned in the first episode, uh, there's a bit of an imbalance there. You're overdeveloped in one area and super underdeveloped in another area. So something's bound to happen, uh, in terms of maybe injury, and if not injury, does this also mean maybe uh, you're, that you're stagnant? You could just become, you could just be kind of hammering away at it, and maybe you're not injured. Maybe you have aches and pains here and there, but you're not really improving. Any like you're just kind of staying the same and getting by. Yeah, exactly. So if we consider that every energy system and every human uh, physio, uh, every uh, uh, physiological system in the human body has its limits. It would just by its very nature say that we can't only perform in one system. 
so it is very important to not just mix it up for the sake of mixing it up, but have a plan, have a structure. Uh, and this structure is, is not something that I've created. It's been around for many, many years. Periodization has been studied so thoroughly. Uh, and, and those studies confirm that people do experience better gains over time with a periodized plan than not. Uh, there are many different types of periodization that are all trying to accomplish the same thing by way of managing fatigue, producing overload, having the right amount of variability, but it's all uh, trying to accomplish the same thing, which is not only performing one type of energy system or performing one rep range or intensity range at a time. It's doing it with a plan and it's doing it with a purpose. So if we were to maybe uh, take a look at an affiliate and look at maybe five days of workouts throughout the week, right? Um, what might that look like in terms of focus on Monday, Tuesday? You don't have to get into specific movements and, and uh, give the full workout, but like, what does that look like? Uh, what does a sustainable and balanced approach look like Monday through Friday? So let's just say, and then the context comes into like, where are we relative to the open? Because you know, a lot of people peak for the open. So that's at least how we think about it. Um, let's say that we are right after the open. We've done a lot, like I said, a lot of uh, work that accumulates a lot of lactate, that burning sensation, that very high-intensity sensation. We might do work that is uh, not replicating that exact effect. We might be doing um, reps that are uh, higher with less intensity, but maybe not uh, with very short rest so that, that lactate uh, doesn't build up on you. Uh, this allows the athlete to recover. So right after the open, we'll probably start with some type of hypertrophic cycle. Um, we might even do a little bit of muscular endurance, but we're just trying to get away from the high intensity by bringing the volume up and not having the rest be super short. So that's kind of that context of where are we relative to the open first. Mm -hmm. And what we like to do, we got this from Alex Viata, was having the week get easier as it goes on. And that's how we write for our affiliate programs. It's how we write for our CrossFit athletes. So we might start with higher intensity Metcon or like air or, or, or a lactic threshold training in the beginning of the week. And it gets easier and longer as they go. This allows them to feel recovered by the time they get back to the beginning of the week. So just as there is a bigger plan for the macro cycle, there's also a plan within a week to week to allow the athletes to feel best recovered. Yeah. And so like, like you mentioned, and we keep saying that context is important. If that was something that was explained, like on the blog, right, when you go to check the workout for the next day, at the beginning of the week, if that's something that is acknowledged, like, hey, guys, we're focusing on trying to, you know, start off super high intensity in the week and have uh, training kind of get easier throughout the rest of the week because of x, y, and z. Now, I understand. And now if, if, if you're telling me, if you're the expert and you're telling me that this is why we're doing it, I'm not going to be like, well, I don't know. I, I just want to go 100% from day one through day five. I'll, I'll listen to you because you kind of know what you're talking about. But that context is super important. The context is important and the results will prove to be important over time. Uh, those athletes, especially those who've been doing classic CrossFit, uh, might not like that. That might be extremely foreign to them. But they will guaranteed feel more recovered week to week, 
and they'll see gains. So that's all they'll care about, right? Yeah. It doesn't really matter what their habits have been or what they've enjoyed. If they can buy on uh, and really, you know, buy-in doesn't really happen if results aren't shown. But with enough time on a periodized plan, they'll definitely see those gains and, and I think everyone can hop on board. It, it does take a certain mentality, though, that we speak about with our, our approach to sustainable, sustainable training, that you have to delay instant gratification. We don't want to be throwing the most amount of weight on the bar that we can be every single day. It's impossible as long as, you know, I don't know there are many recreational steroid users and CrossFit classes, uh, but um, <laughs> you just can't do that. So if, if, if a gym, and, and what we pride ourselves on, with our athletes both uh, on-site and remote is that we're not promising quick PRs. We can't. We're not promising that there won't be challenging times. There will be. But if you stay consistent and you have this long-term approach, you can see some really cool things when you reflect back over not just a year, but two, three, four, five years and see what you've accomplished in that time. And if a community can get on board with that mindset, awesome things can happen. Do you get people who um, that concept may be super foreign to them? And um, like, how do you kind of, well, first of all, do you get those types of people? And how do you deal with kind of making that mind sh mindset shift happen? So um, we definitely, we, we get folks who have been perhaps doing a certain type of intensity, that, that really high intensity for a super long time. Uh, but, you know, by the time they get to us, they, they might be experiencing injury and, and have some burnout, in which case they're, of course, open to uh, dialing things back down and, and finding a more sustainable structure. Um, you know, at, at the same time, uh, we, we try to have that uh, task mastery be something we lead with. It's 1% improvements at a time, and we, we share with them this motto we have that's called wait for the cookies. And uh, I think you've you've heard or seen yeah. us kind of tag that. And um, it my one of our partners, uh, Kyle, was reading up on this old study he had read when he was a student. And I think it was like it's taught in most college psych classes where kindergartners were given, we say wait for the cookies, but they were given marshmallows. And the kids were told that they could eat the marshmallow now, or if they wait just a little bit, they'll get even more marshmallows. And they track these kids, and this study's been repeated actually. They track these kids throughout middle school, high school, college, and even to their early careers. And they looked at GPAs and overall qualitative happiness scores and salaries. And they found that those kids in kindergarten who were able to resist that instant gratification uh, showed higher scores over time. So we, we tell that story and that idea that you have to kind of wait for those gains. You have to ha be patient. Mm -hmm. uh, that will keep you safe. It will keep you motivated to have smaller wins along the way and really celebrate those wins along the way so that you can wait for those cookies at the end. So when you hit that year-end goal, when you make it to regionals, when you get your first pull-up, you know, then you can celebrate it, but it allows you to celebrate those little wins that you've set up along the way with a, a periodized purposeful plan along the way. So we, we make a story out of it, and it's become kind of our motto, wait for the cookies. Yeah, and, and, and something else, I think you have to make the shift to being more process oriented versus results oriented at that point too. Because if you're solely, you know, results oriented and, and that's your, you just thrive off of, you know, the next PR. I mean, you got to think about it because, and I've been in this boat, which is why I can um, kind of relate, but 
when let's say I want to hit a 400 pound back squat, right? If I hit 400 pounds, like immediately, I now want to hit 405. I want to hit 410 within a few minutes, within a few hours, maybe the next day, but the next goal is already kind of set. And now uh, you're constantly in a sense, like living in the future and focusing on these results. When in reality, if you focus on being kind of more present and enjoying every little bit of the process, it's a completely different experience. And the results are bound to come. Yeah. And that's where, you know, like you said, process versus outcome training or, or mindset based training mm-hmm. is super, super important. And that's also where if a gym creates that mindset, they encourage uh, process versus outcome or process over outcome, then you ha- you can build relationships so that when those challenging times come up, you can talk with those athletes about the process. You can help shine a light on their successes that they might not be able to see in the moment if they have a bad training session. Um, but it, it can create really valuable talks and conversations um, and a whole lot less frustration uh, than just trying to PR every single time because, like you said, you're going to get it and then you're going to be like, well, screw that. That's not cool or that's not as good as John in the other class uh, and I just need to do more. And then you know, you, you keep doing more and more until you're like, screw this. I'm either burnt out or injured. So it's, it's a, uh, it has to start from the top. Leadership has to be on board. All the coaches have to be on board. But it, it would provide a really, really awesome atmosphere and be able to retain clients quite well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to dig a little bit into the biofeedback um, aspect that we chatted about in our first episode. And I've listened to you know the episode you did with Shrugged. I've watched uh, the follow-up videos that you've made since then on this, and I've tried it out uh, myself in the gym a couple times as well. And so I still have a couple... Um, questions that I feel like, you know, if you uh, dig into it, I'm sure you'll clear it up. But let's, um, f- how about you give some context for why we use uh, biofeedback and why it relates to CrossFitters? You did a whole video on this, but just to kind of sum it up. Yeah, so, you know, um, you can look at these auto regulation feedbacks as tools. Uh, it's not the uh, only way that you train, there's not a uh, style of training it is a, a tool that you use. Uh, that is very important to, to know first. And there's also a context for when you use it. Mm-hmm. Um, as for who would want to use it and when, we can get into that. Um, sometimes we're not always honest with ourselves, especially if we're in the mindset of chasing PR after PR after PR. We'll sometimes ignore how we feel. So the best way to auto-regulate is to honestly ask yourself the question, how does the weight feel? That's super easy, right? It requires no extra anything. Uh, the biofeedback that, that we'll talk about today is so simple. It just requires your own body. You just have to know what to look for when you just tuck your chin and hang towards the floor. Mm-hmm. But it's not always that people can, especially if they've had a hard day at work and they want to go into the gym and just work hard, can they answer that question honestly? How am I feeling today? How is the bar moving? So we can take the ego out. We can take the, the mind out when we just simply tuck our chins round and hang and understand where our body stiffness is relative to the longest we've ever hung down against gravity and keep the ego in check by getting very objective feedback that's easy to use, 
requires no money to buy heart rate variability software. It's just your body tucking your chin to the ground and knowing how to interpret those results. Yeah, and, and that is super important because, uh, like you said, you could be you know super stressed out one day. Like yesterday, I remember I was uh, there was like some technical issue that I was dealing with, and I'm the worst with technical issues. Like even though it's something that uh, like I kind of. Um, like I understand it happens. It, it kind of consumes my mind until it's fixed, even though it shouldn't. And I'm just like, okay, let it go, let it go, let it go. And I was in here training and it was just, it was still kind of on my mind. And it, it's draining when you're thinking about something like that. And uh, like I ended up uh, back squatting. It was a, uh, you know, three, three second negative, two second pause in the bottom and crushing the weight compared to what I actually felt like I could do that day. Like I felt drained. I felt exhausted. But as soon as I started moving, um, I was like, whoa, like this is not kind of what I expected. So you're saying instead of just going by that feel, we can now define it. We can now actually test it. And it literally takes maybe like whatever, 15 seconds uh, to perform the test, right? Exactly. So in your instance, you may have an emotionally challenging day, uh, but you go into the gym and you perform better than you thought you could. If and for those you know who, who, for whom haven't heard the, about the biofeedback before, you know we have plenty of content on this and, and we speak about it more in that that first episode. But you would have had your baseline test, which is how long you can hang when you tuck your chin and round over. And to your surprise, you would likely have seen had you checked that you were actually in a ready state. Your body was ready to go. You might have had emotional and mental stress about the technical issues, but physically, you were all there. So you can say, oh, well, I'll take confidence in that because it's a test that I've used that hasn't really led me astray in the past and really doesn't. Um, it's objective. You can't really cheat the test. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, oh, well, I can crush these squats today still and make make my day better. <laughs> yeah, so let's... um. Pretty much the way that this test works, if we were to kind of paint the picture, um, let's say that you stand on top of a 20-inch box, right? Mm -hmm. And like you said, all you're doing is gonna, you're going to tuck your chin and you're just going to forward fold or bend at the hips and just let yourself hang. And if you were to extend those you know, arms nice and straight, you see how low can you go. Are you touching the toes? Are you touching an inch or two um, you know, uh, below, like below your toes, wherever that mark is, you want to identify that. And you're saying that that is the baseline without, um, reaching for it. Again, it's just a hang. So your, your knees are soft. You're not deliberately doing any muscular action. You're just mm -hmm. plopping down against gravity and, and you will get a reading on, uh, how ready you are to go. The idea is you have an, a sense over time of what the longest position you can hang down is. Over time, that'll ideally get longer and longer. But if you know that you're two inches below the box at your longest position, and after a warm-up, you're at that spot, you're ready to go. Uh, if after a warm-up, you can't get to that spot, despite your best efforts to get to that spot, you know that that's not the best day to push your body intensely you might want to do lighter, easier work. Not saying just lay on a foam roller, not saying just quit and go home, uh, but maybe you know drop the intensity 20%, drop the total volume 50%, still get work in, just do less and try not to get tighter than you already are. 
So I walk in, I hit this test real quick. I hit maybe a 10 or 15 minute warm up where let's say I'm on the assault bike. Uh, I'm doing some seated box jumps and uh, I don't know, one other movement um, that I'm doing that day. I'm cycling through that for 10 minutes or so trying to just get myself sweating, breathing heavy. And then I go to retest. And if I can go now four inches instead of two below my toes, uh, I am ready, and uh, that are you saying that that uh, warm up essentially was effective in helping me get prepared, and my body is ready to maybe push hard that day? Exactly, and if that four inches that you're able to get rather than two is where you've been able to get at your longest spot, which we call the baseline, then you are totally ready to go. And if you get further down the box or whatever platform you're standing on, or if it's your mid shin and now you're getting to your laces and you're getting further down than you ever have, then you have a new relative measurement. So if the measurement increases, the baseline reading that you have to draw relative comparisons to changes as well. Um, so that's a, a really good example of, yeah, am I in a ready state after a warm-up to attack the workout? Uh, now our athletes might use this who are in injured states quite often, though those who are healthy and they're kicking it and they're following a periodized plan, which should kind of take uh, care of, I mean, as long as life isn't crazy stressful um, and, and the athlete hasn't changed things up dramatically by way of their diet, their sleep, anything like that that might affect recovery, a periodized plan should allow them to consistently get to their baseline over time. Uh, there might be periods of overload where we're right before a competition and the athlete's healthy. We don't really care about that. We have to worry about the competition. Right. Um, you know, let's just say we have an assessment with a new athlete. We teach them this test and we don't know what their baseline is because we're just getting their first reading. They've never performed it before. So they tuck their chin round and hang and they get to their shoelaces, top of the shoelaces. And we ask them, uh, what's the most you've been squatting lately? Because they say they have knee pain and they'll say, well, I did 320 by 10. And I had knee pain. And that was a month ago, and I stopped squatting. And we say, okay, we're going to squat. And we'll get a, a puzzled look because they say, well, I have knee pain. And we'll give them a 45 pound bar. And this has happened many more times than once. And they will lose flexibility. Losing flexibility is not a bad thing, it just means that that load for that, however many reps you perform the exercise, was a sufficient challenge. You, have, you will have acute loss of flexibility when you push yourself. And that athlete will have this realization once they understand what that acute loss of range of motion means, they'll be like, oh my God. So if 45 pounds by 10 is getting me tight. The last thing that I heard you say was, uh, if 45 pounds by 10 is giving you or is making you lose flexibility, so now instead of you being able to touch the shoelaces, you're maybe only able to go to, uh, what would you say, mid-shin? Yeah, if you might lose even just like a, even a little bit, an inch or two, yeah. Okay, and, and that is uh, – that's a good thing in a sense if – because you know that you're being challenged, right? But when is that? When is that uh, not good? Like when do you know? Okay, wow, I, I'm I'm doing too much. I need to back off a little bit. Yeah. So the idea is that if I get tight with 45 pounds, but I was previously doing 320 pounds, then we're just going to start ground zero and work up from there. 
it's not a bad thing. It just shows how much room you have to improve, and it gives a starting point. Mm -hmm. So if someone has back pain and they've been deadlifting, just, it helps to think of these with examples we've experienced. It's like, well, 300-pound deadlift hurts my back. People usually stop deadlifting. They don't think to reduce volume or intensity. Right. So if you can get a baseline objective feedback of what is the minimal amount of work to elicit an acute loss of range of motion, that gives us a starting point. A lot of rehab programs struggle because they don't they can't measure the starting point. So they might start too low and it takes forever for that athlete to finally get to a functioning level uh, or they start too aggressively, but they have no idea. Right. So this lets us know exactly where to start. Got it. Okay. Uh, two questions that might be kind of random, but I've been wondering. So why do we have a soft bend in the knees when we're uh, doing the tuck your chin round and hang versus keeping the knees locked out? So keeping the knees locked out would cue the quads, which is a muscular action. And if the quads have more or less tension in them after whatever exercise you were doing, it can change the test. Mm. So the is zero muscular action, extending the knees would uh, cue the quads and, and uh, put the hamstrings in a long position. And how about tucking the chin? Uh, tucking the chin, the idea in, with this test is that it's uh, easy to use, it's repeatable, and we are um, putting the spine in its longest position from head to toe. Got it. Okay. Now, so far we've mentioned uh, squat and deadlift, right? So uh -huh. now what if we are taking a look at maybe somebody who's having shoulder pain, right? Let, let's say from like pull-ups or something like that. Um, are they still like, are we still looking at the exact same markers and looking to see, okay, you were able to touch your shoelace, um, but after doing maybe a set of pull-ups, now we are uh, one inch above the shoelace. Yeah. So the great thing about the test is that because in tucking the chin and involving the whole of the nervous system, we will get a, a change no matter how localized the exercise seems to be. We've, we've gone to the local gym and have done bicep curls and have gotten tight from that. Right. And, and, and why is that? Why, you're saying because uh, we're taking the whole nervous system into account here and not just looking at uh, where your pain or your uh, focus for that day is in terms of what you're targeting. Exactly. Our, our, our body works uh, as a system uh, rather than individual pieces at a time. This is not like a don't do bodybuilding, don't do bicep curls because it's not like quote unquote functional. We totally, we totally don't believe in that. Mm -hmm. uh, but the idea is that you, know, you can be training your biceps, but you can be training your biceps. It's just one muscle, but you can train them to a point where you've created adaptation and there's actually this global response. Even though you were working one specific muscle, there are still maybe some fibers of supporting muscles that get hit to eventually produce uh, a global shortening of range of motion. Got it. Okay. Um, now, so we've kind of touched on how this would help the athlete who is, uh, you know, rehabbing or kind of starting from ground zero. Um, when it comes to a healthy athlete, how can they best use this if we were to kind of give them context on when to use it? So if the healthy athlete is aware of how to use it, they can kind of keep it in their back pocket and not worry about it too much and know that if something does creep up and they're feeling like they're a little worn out or that they've pushed a little too hard, then they can use it to kind of troubleshoot. That's one way. 
Another way that we use it for athletes who are healthy is let's say we want to start a training cycle off. We want it to start off relatively easily so that we can build upon it. We said like we don't want training to be hard all at once. We want it to get harder over time. Mm -hmm. And let's say it's a new exercise that we've never looked into before. Uh, maybe it's like a new accessory exercise. Well, we might tell them, find the lightest weight that produces the minimal amount of tightness. That's our starting point. It won't be too hard, but there's a little bit of change. So that way we know where to make our jumps from with a brand new novel exercise where the athlete may not know how hard to push. Got it. Okay. And this could be used for even something like, you know, let's say I take a lacrosse ball and I want to get into my lats and I'm just rolling, you know, rolling around on it. Uh, could we use this same concept to see if that uh, mobilization had any effect? For sure. We, we absolutely can. We definitely can. And, you know, it's it's something that, like, for those who are listening, there are so many flashy things in fitness um, nowadays. It's easy to uh, not know what is <laughs> kind of like real, what is not. Um, and we're not saying that this is the be-all, end-all. Like, you, you this is a, a single tool that you can use, and it works. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you're experiencing injury... You can use it to know where to start and how to progress, but it is just one tool. It's, it's not the be-all, end-all tool, though it is a very, very helpful tool. Uh, if you're experiencing injury, if you are getting back into exercise and you want to know where to start, etc. Uh, so we, we try not to speak in extremes. People in the fitness industry love to speak in extremes. We try not to. Uh, it is a very valuable tool. <laughs> it is not the only thing you need to be doing to improve your performance or, or reduce pain symptoms. Yeah. I mean, if you're somebody who, you know, is fascinated by voodoo bands and lacrosse balls and foam rollers, those are tools as well that some of us are using. So this is kind of, you know, uh, something in that same boat, but it's very measurable, very effective. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's good to have, uh, it's, it's a good tool to, it's a good tool to keep in your arsenal. Exactly. Absolutely. And again, if you, don't know how to use it and you're confused and you want some clarification, just get a hold of us, message us, and we'll clarify anything for you guys. Uh, just find a way to get in contact with us and we'll answer any questions. Yeah, and because and, I know we're talking about uh, this over audio, but you guys have done a video with Barbell Shrugged and you guys are releasing another video where you're doing this live. Like you're going to uh, have somebody perform the test, they're going to do you know an exercise, and you're going to kind of show that through video as well, which I think is cool. Exactly. Yeah. So there, there's visual as well that, that'll tie it all together. Awesome. Okay. Uh, is there anything else that you fi uh, find in relation to the uh, sustainable series for CrossFit that you want to touch on? Well, I, you know, part of the that context that we spoke about, right, is um, not just with loading or volume or even kind of where you are relative to your goal on a greater macro cycle. But it's just like tiny pieces of context that people get distracted by on, on social media. And, and it's like you, they don't really know or there, there, there isn't a, a, a when or a why for, for when or, or why certain things should be done. And that even includes like certain joint mobilizations. Like why should I do this? Do I have the prerequisite flexibility or mobility? Um, do I need to be doing Bulgarian split squats during my strength block? Do I need to be doing uh, 
do I need to be doing snatch pulls uh, from a deficit during my peaking phase? Like there, there's, there's no context because so many people are trying to get likes. We joke, we say like um, uh, three sets of 10 doesn't get as many likes as a one rep max. Uh, and that's like, <laughs> sometimes what you see on social media influences a whole training program or even how a coach markets their, their or advertises their, their entire training product. So we, 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 we politely ask coaches to provide more context for, for, for their posts because it will help the audience and it will help us all better understand periodization and the why and when. Yeah, there's this uh, there's this book that uh, Dr. Aaron Horshig from Squat University he recommended to me, and I've actually ended up listening to this probably four times now. And every time I go through it, like I'm more and more mind blown. Like you pick up on different things that you didn't you know hear before. It's called uh, "Start with Why" by Simon Sinek. Have you ever heard of it? I've definitely heard of it. Yeah, I haven't gotten around to it. I mean, if I was to sum that book up in like a sentence, it's pretty much instead of just talking about what to do, how to do it, right? Like uh, here's uh, here's something called snatch pulls. Here's how you do it. You start with why, right? So at the very top, you always start with, okay, why are we doing this? Um, and dig into that and then layer the, you know, what and the how and everything else after that. And it's a very simple formula for um, having everybody be on the same page and com- kind of communicating your message a little more effectively. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that in this Instagram age, it's not always, or rather what's most popular is not always what's most uh, helpful. Mm -hmm. What looks cool or what might feel hard isn't actually what's most effective. So, you know, we're dedicated towards providing a whole picture so that people understand how all the pieces fit together. um, And that'll hopefully uh, allow them to, to train longer, healthier, happier over time because, um, you know, if I see a uh, an exercise that looks intriguing and I'm trying to put the pieces together myself, I'm going to try it because I don't know how it fits or if it's appropriate. Um, and you could just be wasting your time versus just putting in hard, good work that we know will be effective towards you accomplishing whatever goals you have. So when you come across something and there is not much context or not too much digging into why, you kind of want to ask yourself that question. Yeah. Like we had a joke. We're like, maybe we should make a video of us doing something crazy outlandish, like something absolutely absurd and just kind of show like this, this is like, it's an exercise and just make it like hyperbolic. Like we're doing something completely absurd. We don't know what that would be. It's like, before you do this, ask, like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? You might even acknowledge that it looks ridiculous, but you may still try it, especially if it's coming from someone that you follow on social or you you, you uh, uh, have trust in. And you, you kind of, you got to know why you're doing something in the gym. And it's not to say you can't go in and have fun and do, you know, like stupid, dumb stuff that, that puts a smile on your face every now and again. That's not what we're saying. You know, the motivation to go into train and have those things plugged into a program that has you enjoy your program is super important. That, that's the foundation of the whole, it's not even the foundation. It's like if there's a pyramid to training, your enjoyment, whatever helps you stay consistent is the framework of that pyramid. It's the pyramid itself. It's not even what's, uh, it's not even its constituents. So, you know, not saying don't do things for fun, but 
um, do things and know why, do things and know what the purpose is. Absolutely. Um, I'll dig into a couple rapid fire questions and then I'll let you go. I'm not sure if I uh, had these questions last time we chatted or if I got to ask you them. Yeah, I don't think you did. No. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So let's dig into it. So what is maybe the best advice that you've ever received? Um, um, it probably had to do with, and though I can't say it poetically now, um, but just talking less and listening more, uh, powerful (laughs) thing to do with that. Um, you know, especially if you feel like, you know, uh, or, or coming into a spot where you know more than others you don't know half as much as someone above you. So just keep listening. Absolutely. Um, what's something that you think that most of us take for granted? Um, our everyday health in the gym and our ability to perform exercise. Uh, it could be taken from us at any time, not to be grave, but you know, just the fact that you can go in and have fun and, and do work is an opportunity just to enjoy that process like we said enjoy the process versus the outcome um for those who have experienced injury and have been away from the gym you know exactly what i'm talking about for those who haven't um don't just like batten down the hatches and brace for injury just be more mindful of the fact that it's such a pleasure and, and privilege and an enjoyment to actually work out and have fun it's so funny how that works because when you are experiencing, you know, uh, pain or aches and pains or minor injuries, uh, that stuff is, that's like all you can kind of think about, you know, like I remember my wrist, um, even after I had gone through that thing with my back and I was healthy again, training, um, I had ended up injuring my wrist, going into a meet with that. And then after the meet, I continued to train with it. And it had been another, what, two and a half months. And I did another meet with that same like injured wrist. And that is all I could think about every time I was training. You know what I mean? And it's just something that is not as apparent to everybody else around you until it kind of happens to you and you go through it. For sure. Absolutely. Um, So what are three things you think of more than the average person? Um... I have this, you know, what I'm working on most is, and and I think my friends and fiance can attest to this, is just balancing uh, a a business and kind of like that entrepreneurial lifestyle with your life. Um, I kind of joke where like I have this sixth sense of when something is going wrong with an athlete to where I'm thinking about like all of them at once and I'll check in on them and like something will be wrong at the second I've checked in. They're just like on my mind. But knowing that, you know, my athletes, uh, or my athletes understand that I have their back and that, um, I don't have to completely, uh, get rid of my entire life to be able to best provide uh, a better service. As long as I'm providing the best service possible and making more time for myself, I can be a better coach in the long term. So that's definitely something I'm, I'm, I'm working on, but thinking about my athletes nonstop is probably one thing. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things that I think about. Um, gosh, I don't know. Um, it, it's We usually talk about training, movies, and the like, but which sounds just so simple. Uh, we really love what we do. So it's, it's not just our business, but we, we train too. So we love to talk about it. 
Yeah, no, I, I want to peel back on that first one a little bit. How, like, w were there any steps that you kind of took to um, implement or make sure that you are able to balance, you know, that entrepreneurial side where you're constantly worried about, you know, the athletes and their well-being and making sure that you're providing a good service, but at the same time being able to uh, mentally detach from it in a sense and also kind of do your own thing. Um, like when you made that shift, w what was kind of going through your head? What steps did you take to make that happen? Because I think that's something that a lot of us deal with. I know I have. Sure. And I, I'd say that that shift hasn't even fully been made. It's, it's just still an ongoing process for me where I know that I will have hit a limit is if I can't be very present for my athletes, uh, whether it's on site or remote. So if I'm not there and I just can't give that time, that requires not just a gradual shift, that requires an immediate shift in, in your schedule or in how you organize your structures you have to go back to ground zero if, if you're just not present for certain uh, responsibilities and schedules and appointments. So that is really, really, really necessary. Um, though it is just, a, like I said, an, an ongoing process uh, for me and I believe for everyone else. It's not something yeah. that they have fully uh, mastered. But to, to be present for my athletes is very important. I, I try to think of every athlete who I have younger than me almost – and like we, we – are able with our athletes who come to us with injury in this vulnerable state to create really good relationships because it starts in a vulnerable position. Um, but it's like the athletes who are younger, they're your siblings. They're your younger brothers and sisters. You look out for them and those who are older, you treat like as if they were your parents um, with that same respect and might even make you think a little bit more. Someone comes into the gym, they have no experience and you either throw them into something that you're a little bit iffy on or, you might not have the patience for it. Like imagine it's as if it were your mother or father, or if it's someone younger, it's as if it were your siblings. Um, you just need to make sure that you're caring for them the way you need to within the parameters of what you're offering and also create time for yourself. And if anyone has any magic formula for that, I certainly don't. I'd love to hear it. Um, but it's, it's a balance. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's one of those things like I think being a uh, business owner forces you to uh, ask hard questions and kind of uncover more and more of how you are programmed and how your brain works, how you think, how you operate. Like you get super in touch with uh, yourself because you have to in a sense. Like if you're not operating at your 100%, you're not going to be able to provide that to everybody else, whether that means it's your athletes, your, uh, you know, employees, um, maybe even, you know, your fiance, whatever, like just anybody who you come in contact with throughout the day, um, you know, you being in a place where you're operating from 100% is super important. Oh, absolutely. And like we, we say that you, know, you can have a, you can, you can have a training program that satisfies, satisfies everything we've spoken about. You can be a complete douche yeah. <laughs> and none of it will work for your athletes. Um, you, at the same time, you could have a horrible program and have someone who's super motivated and you, you know, you're, you're a half decent human being and treating them with respect and, and they're having fun and they'll do better on that program. So, you know, I, I think not a lot of people talk about, and, um, there, there's a book that's just come out. I think it's Brett Bartholomew, uh, on conscious, conscious Co coaching. Yeah. And, and just diving into, because whether, you know, in the past it was just memoirs or self-help books, you have that on one side and then on the other side you have books on periodization and scientific training principles. 
you just never had something on the communication with athletes or, or, or that um, uh, interpersonal skills that is so essential in this field that people just like don't really consider until they get in and they realize that's like 99% of all of it. Dude, it, it absolutely is. And that is something that I think from very, very early on when I started personal training, I, I, I was focused on that and I recognized it. And, and this is me reflecting back. Like in the moment, I was just – that's where my interest was. Like how do I communicate in a way that connects with this person and motivates them to do X, Y, and Z? Um, but looking back at it now, uh, I I see like the value in continuing to do that because there's always another level. Um, and I think that's what I admire about maybe like nutrition coaches, for example, like – the numbers anybody can give you your macros and give you like that technical stuff to follow give you the meal plans even and draw everything out for you but if they don't understand how to you know encourage you motivate you inspire you um it's not going to happen you know no not at all it won't even get off the floor and, yeah but it's something that uh is not really discussed but it's also that very thing that makes you look up to a particular coach you, know, you spoke about Danny Carmago. Uh, we you look at Travis Masher, who's a, a, also a good friend. Who um, you know, people who care about their athletes. It's very visible. Um, and those who who don't kind of follow that, uh, it's also visible too. So yeah. you you can tell, and uh, it's just evidenced in the results too. Absolutely. Um, so let's say that if I were to give you a few billion dollars, and you had a staff of forty people. Right. And these 40 people could be, you know, whoever you want, they could be the top performers in whatever it is that you're recruiting them for. And you wanted to use that to make some type of impact, some type of change. What would you do with it? Oh, um, 40, 40 million, billion doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, uh, here's the thing, right? Uh, money is not an issue. You've got a couple billion dollars and energy is also not an issue because you've got 40 people. So, uh, think of that, everything kind of being covered there and you can do whatever you want with it. Uh, what kind of comes to mind? I would probably try to set up what we're doing on a larger scale remotely or a larger scale on site in many more locations with many more coaches, uh, who, who have gone through our procedures uh, and, and understand our expectations and philosophies and have a little bit more of a hands-off uh, approach. That might be my uh, 30 to 40 year plan, but mm -hmm. if I there earlier, I'd take it and that's probably what I would do. <laughs> Amazing. So just reaching more people and turning things up a notch. Exactly. Let's say that you're still a billionaire, right? And you can give two to three books to every person in the country this year. What would they be? Um, if I could give away, uh, six, it'd be all the Harry Potter books just because of how awesome it's, <laughs> like, Good I, call. It's, it's not like what anyone else I know is saying when they're asked that question, but I don't know. I just like at the age of 25, I found Harry Potter and I just like started loving life a lot more. Um, <laughs> but, uh, if, if I chose like a Harry Potter book to be one, um, gosh, what would two others be? Um, I'm trying I have like a bookshelf across from me. Um, oof, that's a tough one. Um, I don't, oh, um, for strength coaches, I'd give them Harry Potter just to chill the fuck out. I would give them uh, just the essentials of strength and conditioning so that they know their foundation and that they uh, 
don't just tout and spit out random scientific words and buzzwords, but that they have a good foundation because I think a lot of coaches lack that the that foundational principles. They just kind of use fanciful words. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Harry Potter, Essentials of Strength and Conditioning, the latest edition, and um, the last book would be, gosh, um, I don't know, but I would start with those two. Okay, amazing. Um, is there something you feel like you don't get asked enough about, something you wish people would ask you more? Um, no, not, not really. Um, I don't, um, people don't ask me enough of anything really. So I, I'm not complaining about any one particular thing. I think people are surprised to know that, um, you know, we don't just work with people who are dealing with injury. We have, you know, one of my athletes is about to find out if he's going to the games or not, uh, for masters and others are getting ready for nationals in Chicago. So we're able to work both sides of the spectrum and, and, uh, hopefully you'll hear more of those people's success stories coming out too, uh, in different sports, not just weightlifting. Absolutely. Um, if we were to kind of switch that question around a little bit and think, you know, okay, these are the types of questions that I see people asking a lot of, but it would be nice if they would start asking themselves this type of question, what comes to mind for you? Um, I think, ooh, um, so rather than, and this can, this is just, I'm keeping within like the field and within the, the, the coaching, mm-hmm. just the, uh, the world of performance is like, we love talking about technique, but we don't talk about overall volume and, and recoverable volume and, and recoverable intensities. So that I think people totally miss the boat. It's like, people with amazing form get injured, right? They mm-hmm. can do too much. So um, rather than uh, asking or leading with the question, like what's the appropriate technique? How should this feel? What should this look like? Um, it's like, how much should you do of it? Uh, how should you progress? What's appropriate for you? I think technique and loading or discussion of volume and recoverable volume and intensities should be one and the same, not one above the other. Although at the moment, it's almost talking about intensity due large part to Dr. Mike Israel Now we're talking a lot more about recoverable volume, but it's just much lower down uh, in terms of preventing injury and progressing and actually hitting PRs. Yeah. I mean, something that comes to mind for me is like, we know in the open that you're going to have like high volume gymnastics, right? Like you're going to have pull-ups there maybe. And uh, a lot of times what people are focused on is, okay, how do I start doing butterfly pull-ups or how do I start doing kipping pull-ups when in reality, maybe you're only at one or two strict pull-ups, but you're super concerned with that skill element that is maybe not the only piece of the puzzle to helping you prepare uh, to handle high-volume gymnastics. There's a lot more that you want to take into consideration. Um, So is that kind of uh, related to what you were kind of saying? It is, and and, um, we've mentioned this uh, we were talking about this on the other show. Uh, we said that if I'm uh, a basketball player and I play basketball recreationally, I am not going to compare my uh, field goal percentage to uh, a Division One college athlete or pro. You're playing the same sport. You're shooting the same ball in the same size hoop or the same uh, heighted hoop, but. It's, it's, you, you don't really compare amateur basketball to professional basketball, right? It just seems obvious. 
Um, the really cool thing about CrossFit is that everyone can participate in the same thing at once and see where they stack up. But it can be a double-edged sword where you know, you have folks who are training three, four hours a day. This is their mission to make it to the games. And you've been CrossFitting for one year, but you're comparing yourself to this person, yet you have a nine-to-five job and three kids. It's challenging because you are literally competing in the same exact arena. Mm-hmm. But – you know, you might want to start, even though you're seeing people do 30 or 40 butterfly pull-ups, like you said, with one. So that's a challenge, and that's a challenge for all gyms, especially during the open season. Is yes, you're competing in the same event as Rich Froning is. Yes, uh, you are progressing well, but where are you relative to other people in your age group? What are they doing? What are you doing? That's kind of like the making that needs analysis we spoke about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I'm getting at? Like you don't yeah. see what. Any other sport except CrossFit, and it's very cool. It is very cool to be able to see or say and feel that you are doing the exact same things that the top dogs are doing. It builds camaraderie. It builds awesome, awesome community. You just have to be in check with where you are relative to the people you're comparing yourself to. That's amazing, man. Um, I highly recommend that people go listen to the first episode once again and uh, go check out your uh, sustainable training series videos. I feel like there's uh, a wealth of knowledge in each one of those. Each one of them probably like nine to ten minutes long or so. And you, you're standing in front of a whiteboard. You've got things drawn out. It is uh, super well put together. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So how um, how can we support your journey? Where can people find you? Uh, where can people learn more about you? So we post daily on Instagram at Strength Ratio. The YouTube channel is just strength ratio. I don't know. I always forget how that like score works or that HTML. Yeah. But we're on YouTube and we're on Facebook. If you just search strength ratio, you'll find us. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, man. I had a blast chatting with you, and uh, we got to dig deeper into some things and cover a bunch of different areas. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to be back on. I'm, I'm glad we finally got the schedule. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I know you're probably driving right now. You're probably eating, cooking, working out. You're doing something else. But make sure you head over to theairbornemind.com. Check out some of the free coaching videos, warm-ups, guides, checklists, all the things that you can use to make the best use out of your training time. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you guys, and it would really help me out so I can continue creating awesome stuff for you. And remember, the greatest compliment you can give is by sharing it with somebody else who might enjoy it or somewhere on the web. So once again, thank you so much for being a listener and supporting the show. Until next time.